I always go with a preconditioned motive, what's in it for me? You know, what's my ROI? What's my return on investment? Then I believe at a heart level, we're really cheating ourselves of that experience of just giving that paying it forward mentality that's so rich and so just, I think what we as human beings really need to do in this world. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a phenomenal guest today. Brandon the Disruptor Beliso is dedicated to helping others live their best life. His purpose and passion is serving his clients and reaching their full potential through learning, living, and growing. Brandon is an eighth-degree black belt, a former recording artist with three top 10 hits overseas, owner of One Martial Arts, one of the most successful schools in the martial arts industry, and creator of One Merit Badges, an internationally distributed life skills education system. The professor, as Brandon is also known, humbly presents workshops and seminars, successful in the martial arts world and beyond, with the mindset that we can always do better and be better. He is committed to being a student for life and is a dedicated father, husband, and servant to the community. Brandon's popular book, Live, Learn, Grow, Lessons of a Reluctant Tiger, portrays his struggles and victories, as well as the insight that moved him forward step by step. He shares these experiences and the wisdom they've produced to help his tribe find their why. Service is the new profit, is Brandon's mantra, which helps him focus his clients to find happiness and success without focusing on money. In his TEDx talk, Happy on Purpose, Brandon uses humor and experience to show how happiness is a choice we can all master. Brandon, welcome to the show. Dr. Richard, I am grateful to be here. Well, we are grateful to have you, and you have a very interesting background, and I want to start with the beginning because you have a long history involving the martial arts, and that's obviously very important to you and your development. Talk to us about how you got into martial arts and how that shaped what you're doing today. Well, the martial arts was introduced to me by my father back in 1967. So as a young boy of five years old, I was exposed in a Western culture to all those Eastern philosophies of self-discipline, of, of that balance of mind, body, and spirit. So at a very early age, and all that has shaped and served me throughout my lifelong journey of self-discovery to be a better version of myself. And I love that. And so how old were you when you started doing this? Martial arts, five years old. And I'm 56 okay. now, so I've done this my whole <laughs> life. 
So pretty much your whole life. And then, so what was it like going through school in comparison to perhaps some of the other kids where you have this discipline? How did that help you accomplish things that perhaps were more challenging for some of your peers? Well, I think my life as a young child, if you get to read my book, Live, Learn, Grow, I mean, I was in a foster home by 11 months. I spent four years in a foster home. As a child, I was molested. Uh, My father was very physically abusive to us. I found the resilience and inner strength that the martial arts offered me, the self-discipline, the self-confidence, that that ability to deal with the challenges. Uh, I mean, the, when, I, when I talk about this, the Dalai Lama saying, Dr. Richard, it's easy to be great when things are going your way. Can you be great when life is difficult? That's what builds character. That's what makes us better people. It's easy to be the best version of yourself when things are going your way, right? But to really use all that life knowledge and be the best version of yourself through adversity and the challenges that life is guaranteed to dish out to us. I think that was the greatest values that the martial arts offered me. And so you were dealing with that adversity. You mentioned living in the foster care system. You suffered abuse. How long did that go on for you, the abuse in particular? You know, there's different stories. My mom has one story. My dad has another. But I know we're in the foster care system somewhere from 18 months to three years. After that, my mom left my father shortly after that. So, I mean, there were good days and bad days. But for most, we suffered under the tyranny till I left home when I was 17, 18 years old, somewhere there. So a lot of people who experience what you experienced deal with the past adversity in different ways, but many people turn towards depression, anger, bitterness. But you mentioned resiliency helped you get through this. So talk to us as a young man through high school and now you're out on your own. How were you then able to apply these skills and take the next steps in your life? Well, you know, I think for anybody, even under the best circumstances, 20s are very tumultuous. Tumultuous, did I say that right? Dr. <laughs> tumultuous, I think you got it. <laughs> So, I mean, it's already hard enough being in your 20s to begin with. That's when we're really discovering who we are and who we're going to be and defining that. So for me, having a father that was my coach, my father, my instructor, how many push-ups, how much to weigh for a fight, what to do. I woke up at 18 years old and had been self-disciplined, but I didn't really truly, I mean, I'd been disciplined, but I hadn't truly embraced self-discipline. So it was that journey of, of discovering the power of self-discipline in you know, that decade from 20 to 30 and really getting past, was I such a bad person? You know, what's wrong with me? Why was I abused? Why was I in a foster home? Why didn't my parents love me the way I deserved? So I spent a lot of time with that in my 20s to you know, shed away those different layers of what I call unauthorized thought patterns that weren't mine, but were fed to me from the different situations I was given. Of course, the victim mindset, because as a child, what child wants to be physically abused? None. Who wants to be molested? None. Who wants to be in the foster care system? None. So the victim mentality was something that was very easy. It was almost innate. So spending, shedding that victim mentality from 20 to 30 was really a huge process for me to becoming a better version of myself. And so you shed that victim mentality and then Now you're into your 30s. And when did you start doing the things that you're doing now, becoming, you know, earning the title of the the professor, having won all of these major tournaments and dedicating your life to helping others blossom themselves? Yeah, the service part has always been there. 
And I always give credit to my grandmother, God rest her soul. Um, she used to have restaurants in the Tenderloin. And that was in the downtown San Francisco day, district. And it's pretty shady, even to this day. And she had a little coffee shops. And as a young child, I was only allowed to sweep the floor because I couldn't do anything else. But I couldn't cook or anything. I was too young. And whether you could pay or not, she served everybody in this restaurant. And by no means was she financially to that point where she could afford to do that. And there was this one gentleman, his name was Mud, and he was a veteran from World War II. And he'd sit at the end of the counter, I believe his real name was Bill. And every day, same thing, plain hamburger, no cheese, no anything, French fries and a Coke. And back then we had Cokes in a bottle, right? And he'd sit there and eat this and get up and leave. And I was just I would always go to my grandmother. And I think this happened several times before I finally got it, Dr. Richard. I said to her, Grandma, this guy left again. He didn't pay. And in a very thick Filipino accent, she would simply say, never mind. And what that taught me at a very young age is that you serve people because it's the right thing to do. You give back to the world and the community because it's the right thing to do. If I always go with a preconditioned motive, what's in it for me? You know, what's my ROI? What's my return on investment? Then I believe at a heart level, we're really cheating ourselves of that experience of just giving, that paying it forward mentality that's so rich and so just, I think what we as human beings really need to do in this world. And you stated that so beautifully that, the need to serve that spark, that passion was always there for you. And you had your grandmother, for example, who was that role model that taught you that. And yet you've taken what that premise is, this service-based position, and you turn the martial arts industry on its head. Talk to us a little bit about how you did that. Well, the martial arts industry, as far as being a legitimate, profitable business, is rooted, number one, in contracts. So they're going to try to lock a six-year-old kid into a six-month, one-year, two-year contract. And of course, they live from the maximize mentality. So somewhere along, they're going to try to upgrade you to a master's club and lock this six-year-old kid into a four-year contract, guaranteeing that he's going to be a master one day. And then there's bell testing fees and there's upsells every step of the way. And I looked at that and I thought that was very bad service. You know, I, I think the perception of perceived added value. If I give you $100, I get $500 worth of value. I'm a happy camper. So I never I never enjoyed that. And my father's martial arts school, he never did that. Month to month, no bell testing fees. You earned every belt you got. The challenge was there was no data in our industry to prove that you could be profitable with that type of business model. Every indication, the data was, no, you must have contracts. And I just thought it was ludicrous to try to lock a six-year-old kid into a year contract. It made no sense. And I thought it was really bad service. So I created this model and our schools, we have two of them. We're in the top 1% of earners in any martial arts school, probably in the world, for, you know, for the size that we are. Fantastic. And I know that you do a lot of workshops and seminars within your community as well. You're a student for life. Talk to us about what you deliver in these workshops and seminars. I know you've been featured in the media extensively for some of this. Yeah, I have a TED Talk that's very popular called Happy on Purpose. Um, I speak in the jails. I speak at halfway homes. I was just at Lululemon. I've done Facebook. I have Stanford Medical Center coming up. I do big conventions. And it really is helping people understand for themselves through different exercises, through examples, through storytelling. You know, what is your version of success for you? I can't tell you, Dr. Richard, what that means to you. But it's amazing, especially here in, in, in the Bay Area, how many people wake up 
with a you know startup and they're a millionaire overnight. And then they buy all the toys and do all that excess of stuff and realize, wow, it's actually amplified that I'm a really unhappy person. I have all this success and money and I'm still unhappy. So then it becomes, I really believe that inner peace is the new success. And if I can be at peace with myself and financially profitable, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. And let's talk a little bit more about happy on purpose and how one gets to that inner peace. Well, I think understanding our why, we hear that a lot in business. Know your why. You know, most, there's a great Simon Sinek piece that talks about that. So most people market and people live this way from the what. So in our case, what am I? I'm a man. Some people get to the how, how do I do it? I work hard and provide for my family, but most people never get to the why. Why do I do it? See, so we can all discover for ourselves personally, what is our why? Why am I here? I have the year I'm born, the year I die, that little dash in the middle. That's the why. And, and my legacy in life for me is my why. And my why is to be happy. And I'm happiest fulfilling my purpose. And once I understood my purpose was service and, and that service could be a way of serving the community as well as creating the win-win where I'm financially profitable through that process, then how much better can that be? See, I, I, I think I, I used to live, and many of us do, Dr. Richard, from the starving artist mentality. I starve for my art. I must suffer, you know, and lament over it. I say that's unnecessary. You can serve the community, give back tenfold, and still create the lifestyle you deserve, the love of profitability we deserve. Because I recognize money's not my God, but it is a tool. It is a tool, right? It's a vehicle to help do different things and help people in the process, for sure. David Osborne, who recently recorded an episode with me, stated something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, but if you really want to help people, one of the best ways you can do it is to have a lot of money. And his goal is to give away $100 million so that he can help people. And what you're saying very much echoes that sentiment, that, you know, the starving artist mentality. And I think there are a lot of people who, particularly in, in the helping services and nonprofits and such, believe that, you know, they have to eat ramen noodles for the rest of their lives so long as their mission can move forward. But what you're saying is that is absolutely not the case. Absolutely not. And I mean, I, I romanticize it. It's the brooding artist, the suffering troubadour. When I was a musician, I used to sit there with a the guitar case opened on Haight and Ashbury playing for nickels and dimes. And then once I got a major record deal, everybody said I sold out. I said, no, I'm playing the same song I played on the corner of the Haight and Ashbury. The only difference now is I'm on a stage for thousands of people and I get paid. It's the same song. So, I mean, to dispel that myth, I think is very, very important. And, you know, we were, what's that old James Taylor song? Even though we ain't got money, right? I'm so in love with you, honey, right? It's, it's, it's been perpetuated through the ages and artists love that. But that's why most artists don't make money till they're dead and gone. I think that's insane. That's insane. And money is not the root of all evil, folks. People are and the choices they choose to make, Right. It's not money by itself. Money is just a form of currency. By, by itself, money doesn't move. People move that money and use it for good or for bad. I love that. And I, I wanted to spend a couple of minutes because I, I think your story is so interesting. Talk to us a little bit about your recording artist past and what you learned from that time and how you're implementing that in what you're doing today towards your goals of helping others. 
Well, we talk about all those different aha moments. Long story short, I was slugging it out in the San Francisco music scene for years. Wasn't landing a record deal. I was tired of playing in bands. It was like being married to five different people. So I started to sit in a recording studio alone, learn to self-taught a lot of instruments, writing songs. So as an artist, it was great. Landed a record deal overseas. And that was great. The challenge about it, it comes all the decadence. And it just does. And and the false people and everybody's your friend all of a sudden. And and the more I got immersed in that. And I was happy when I was on stage singing. It's when I was off stage that became a challenge because I didn't have family and friends. I had a lot of people in entourages and hangers on that, you know, were only there for the next flavor, the next whoever's popular next week or the people they hung out with. So the big aha moment, long story short, was I was sitting in traffic going to do a TV show and I'm, oops, lots of traffic as it is in, in the Philippines and places like Thailand. And I was moaning and groaning and complaining like a spoiled, rotten little kid, wannabe rock star yelling at my driver who couldn't do anything. It's traffic and there's nothing you can do. And I looked over to the side of the road, Dr. Richard, and it was the most amazing thing. This kid may have been, I don't know, four or five. And it was obvious he was born into poverty, generation upon generation of poverty. He's standing in front of a shanty, playing with a stick and a rock. And that part's not as important. Pollution, chaos, traffic, all this going on around him. And this kid had bliss. He had everything, all of my success and financial reward and, and, and popularity couldn't even begin to emulate or touch. This little kid had so much success and so much happiness. You know, it was just, just amazing. I slumped back in the back of that car and I was embarrassed. I was deeply embarrassed. Nobody saw me. But I knew shortly thereafter, I sold everything. I didn't take the next record deal and I came back home. Wow. And you may have an opportunity to do some James Taylor covers in the future if you're so inclined. <laughs> but but, but this, all- little kid, this little kid, Dr. Richard, was like Yoda. He had everything. And again, another Dalai Lama statement is the, you know, the person is happiest, the richest is the one who could be happiest with the least. So being mindful of that happiness is not a brand new car, a different relationship, a bigger house, a different job. Happiness is something very simple. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. And to dovetail off of what you said earlier, happiness is is not only unique to each person, but it's in finding what what makes us tick that we have the opportunity to enhance that experience through our successes. I agree. And I think through knowing my why and my purpose, happiness comes easy. And where does that all stem from? There's a saying I read recently that happy people are not grateful. Grateful people are happy. So starting with gratitude is a huge one in helping be a better version of myself. Every day I wake up, I breathe in, I say I'm breathing, I breathe out, I say I am grateful, I get another day to live my best life. 
And then I go through my gratitude list, my wife, my kids, you know, my, my prosperity, my health, the opportunities, the challenges. I'm even grateful for the challenges today. So that grateful mindset, I think, really is a springboard for anybody to want to be a better version of themselves. And if you're grateful, of course, you want to give back to the world. I think that they go hand in hand. So gratitude is powerful. Absolutely. And I, I, I want to transition a little bit because I, one of the things that you've created is a book that helps yes. others. And talk to us about that book. Well, everybody expected a business book from me. Everybody wanted a business book, you know, because of the success and we've created in the industry. But what I needed for myself was to get it down on paper, this journey up to this point of self-discovery of through trials, tribulations, to be able to share with people, hopefully through my example, that even through all this adversity, through all these things, through being a damaged goods, you know, through being tainted and, and feeling lesser than at many times in my life because of circumstance, because of being a victim, because self-inflicted as well. I take full accountability for my life today. That if I could be that phoenix who rise out of the ashes and creates this type of life, that anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. I'm nothing special. I'm just like everyone else. I put my pants on one leg at a time. And when I come out of the bathroom, my poop stinks. And we're all in this thing together. So to, th to think there's different layers, no, 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 we're all on, we're on the same level together. So I think the book really inspired that uh, for me. And as far as an exercise and being able to put it out there, a lot of the old shame, the things that might've been hiding, looming in the back that was still holding me back from being a better version of myself, it was out there. I mean, my butt is to the wind in this book. It's totally transparent. Anything I've ever done, it's there in that book. And it's just out and it's public. It's in the open, which takes away a lot of the power, Dr. Richard. You know, there's no shame to live behind, you know? Absolutely. So this book, Live, Learn, Grow, Lessons of a Reluctant Tiger, takes us through that and helps people kind of figure out how to find that happiness. Absolutely. And I encourage everybody, please journal. You know, if you don't journal, if you don't write, um, I would encourage you, you don't have to think you, you need to be a great writer. You just need to write the habit of writing to purge, to get it out of your brain. I mean, we've all been there. Have you ever, Dr. Richard, thought something about somebody to be so true? You knew they did this wrong and you were 150% sure only to find out you were totally wrong. We've all been there for sure. Absolutely. Right. Right. We've all been there, right, Dr. Richard? But I'm saying I, thoughts are in my mind that may have no truth whatsoever, could be residual beating when I was five. Who knows? But it's left there to, you know, ferment and morph and, and into this twisted thought. I don't want that thought in my mind. It promotes depression, negativity, anxiety. So just by purging it or regurgitating it on paper and getting it out takes away a lot of the power. You know, I don't want it in me. I want it out. So just to journal without any rhyme or reason and just to put a pen to paper really can, it's so therapeutic. And of course, on a good day, Dr. Richard, I could look back, oh, woke up, exercise, ate healthy, spend time with my wife, you know, help the community. Bad day, ate a donut, you know, woke up late, didn't do, I can see the patterns and say, so, okay, I'm going to replicate that behavior to have a good day. And this day, I'm not going to do that. So I don't have a bad day. So journaling is powerful for everybody. Absolutely. And you've mentioned, you know, these things that you do, the gratitude, the journaling, taking those deep breaths in the morning. So you very clearly have a morning routine, which is helpful for you. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. Dr. Richard, we both know that. 
you know, things, there's a system for everything to create order in your life. I wake up the same way every day. I put, I go to the left of the bed. Step two, I go to the bathroom. Step three, I make a cup of tea. I do the exact same thing every morning because I want to create the optimal mindset, the optimal, you know, positioning to have the best day ever. And if I'm constantly changing up that morning, then I can never replicate that behavior and create a habit. And it's one habit you want to have. I eat the same thing every morning. I wear pretty much the same clothes every day. I wear black. That's all I wear is black. I always know if I grab something, a black t-shirt and black whatever, I will always match. So little things like that create those habits so I can do the good work. You know, the real good work of being a better version of myself, of creating things to give back to the community and help. I would never stand there in a store and go, uh, blue t-shirt, white t-shirt. It's not even a thought on my radar. So those habits, those rituals, Dr. Richard, are so important to creating the most optimal self you can be in the morning to have the best day. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier, just in passing, but I want to revisit it because I think it's important, is that you do volunteer in jails. And I'd love for you to talk to us about your experience in doing that. Yeah. Do you remember that HBO series, Oz? I, I remember it. I never yeah, saw baby. it, but yeah, I remember was, it. Yeah, they had those pods. And now I guess most of the jails don't have bars. They're like these acrylic pods that you can see in clearly. And I literally walk into after door, after door, after door. You can't bring a cell phone. You can't wear a hat. There's all these security checks. You get into this common area outside the pods. And it's like, you know, one section you have the, uh, you know, the bloods and the crypts. This section, you've got, you know, the mafia MS-13. Here you've got the Aryan brothers. And all these people are sitting there literally 10 to 20 feet away from me. And the nearest guard, Dr. Richard, it's got to be 30 feet away. Whether he has a gun or not, I don't know. And I remember this this time and I was wondering if I was going to get out of there alive. I said to them, what are you most grateful for? And this one guy raises his hand. He goes, I'm grateful for my family, sir, my my wife and kids. I looked him square in the eye and I said, no, you're not. And I thought he was going to kill me at that point. Why that came out of my mouth, I don't know. (laughs) But I went on to share, sir, if you were really grateful for your family, you wouldn't be sitting in here. You made those choices that put you here. The better choice would have been to be out there helping your family, being with your family, spending time with your kids. And he broke down and cried instead of killing me, which was a great, good choice for me. But it's work like that. And it is, it's very scary. But these universal life principles of gratitude, of integrity, of humility are very important, of self-discipline. So whether, you know, I'm, I'm a billionaire CEO or I'm just trying to regroup and get my life together coming out of jail, they're universal life skills that govern every human. And they should, they should. Powerful story, powerful story. and. We've talked a lot about different things, the the discipline, the gratitude, journaling. Is there anything in particular that really, as you look back on your career of doing this, and your career, of course, certainly is far from over, but to where you are today, that it would you say is your greatest accomplishment? Wow. I mean, there's so many things. And, and I'm not big on accolades. You walk into my schools, you won't see a picture of me. You won't see a trophy of mine. All my trophies sit dusted up on the shelf in the garage. I'm not, I'm not really big on those things. I'm very focused on being in the present moment. And they say the present is the present because it's a gift. And I think Confucius said that really well. If I live in the past, I'm depressed. If I live in the future, I'm anxious with anxiety. If I can live in the moment, it's truly a gift. 
And so when you ask me that question, it's a hard one, Dr. Richard, because I think I've spent my whole life, you know, getting away from that past, accepting that past, all those things to get to who I am today. So if I could pick any one defining moment, I would say it's being here right here with you right now, sir. I love it. This is it, it Dr. Richard. This is it. <laughs> and, 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 and I could, I could pull, well, I won, I won this trophy at this big tournament and I was on this stage in front of these hundreds of thousands of people, uh, right. all those. But really, I think that the, my, my aha moment, my greatest accomplishment is to be here right now with you, Dr. Richard, so I can help serve whoever's choosing to listen to this better. And I wasn't meaning it in terms of, of accolades and, and trophies. Certainly, you you certainly have won your share of those. I meant more in terms of reflecting, was there anything that you were particularly proud of in ways that you might have helped others or, or things along those yes, lines? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a son at 16 years old, and I was in the delivery room, and I was a baby. I think I peed. I cried. It was pretty overwhelming. And the fact that I stuck by him his whole life. And we're more like best friends because of our age. The fact that we have a relationship going strong till today. And, and I, you know, I never married his mother. I was too young. But there was abandoning him did not even seem like a thought in my mind. And had I, who would have blamed me? I was a young father, you know, I was young, dumb, stupid, and nobody would have blamed me. But it was never a thought. It was never a thought. Even at 16, witnessing the birth of my son, the consciousness that goes with that, that synergy between him and I, it perpetuates itself to today. And I could say that's one of the things I'm most proud of. And in particular, given that you spent time in the foster care system to have that awareness that you were going to stand by your son in particular at the age of 16 is so powerful and awesome. So I commend you for that. That's really remarkable and awesome. It is because, I mean, my parents abandoned us at a young age. My mom left with my dad's best friend when we were eight, knowing he was abusive and just said, this guy doesn't want kids. And she took off. And I remember in the movie, The Crow, when he looked at that mom who was a heroin addict and said, did you know mom is another word for God on the lips of small children? I think being a parent is, is probably one of the most unrewarding jobs at time with the way our kids behave. I have a six and a nine-year-old now, but it's one of the greatest gifts we've been given. And to squander that or treat it with such little regard, knowing that you're, you're responsible for this other human's life until they're 18 or, or whatever, is, is a huge crime, not physically a crime, but mentally, because what an opportunity, what an opportunity and, and what a blessing we're given to raise kids and do that, you know? So I would never think of abandoning my kids. It just would never happen. I, I love that. I love the way that you phrase that beautifully. Beautifully put. Well, Brandon, we are just about at time, and this has been such a powerful interview. And the stories that you shared, no doubt, are going to be impactful for people listening to this. And as you know, I wrap up every show with a single question that I ask my guests, and that is, what is your biggest helping? The single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing this episode today? Absolutely. You are not what everybody tells you you are. I think every one of us is born perfect. And then one day somebody said, good Brandon, bad Brandon. Oh, for a set of values. If I act like this, I'm accepted. If I don't, then I'm shunned. And then maybe it was a bully in school. Maybe it was, you know, men's fitness magazine. Maybe it was a video, an empty video. All these, so pretty soon my truer self is buried under all these layers of unauthorized thought patterns that are not mine. And so I've spent a lifetime 
peeling away those layers and, and to get to who I am today and to be able to, with all humility and gratitude, embrace that you are perfect the way you are, warts and all, imperfections and all. Be okay with who you are and you'll be okay with the world. You know, be okay with your shortcomings and you'll be okay with other people's shortcomings. Be grateful for who you are today and you can be grateful for other people, but just recognize that you are not what other people say you are. Fantastic. Brandon, where can people find you? Um, all social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Of course, my website, brandonbeliso.com, 